Welcome to another episode of Nipe's Story. This is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mochiro. My apologies for not being able to upload an episode a fortnight ago um, as I ran into a production issue. But we're back to normal service. So on today's episode, we're featuring one of my own short stories. And it's titled, Salt in the Desert. We were on our way to Lake Asal. Djibouti City was an hour behind us. Looking around me, I felt like I was on another planet. The environment was so stark. How could there be so many shades of brown in one place? I asked myself. Cedar-colored hills dwarfed us, and the slopes were coated by peanutty and hickory-colored gravel. Off-road tracks meandered on the earth, leaving behind tortilla-colored imprints. Anthill-shaped rock formations and jagged boulders of various sizes sat beside the road. Lava-like formations from a different time added to the outwardly landscape. The string of grey tarmac road that we were on coiled itself around rugged hills, exposed canyons and snaked in and out of valleys. I realized Kenya had spoiled me with her blankets of tea plantations, dancing maize fields, her Karura forest, and a mount longonot that jutted out of the Rift Valley floor that was quilted with farms. Kweli, I thought to myself, no two African countries are ever the same. This part of Djibouti was landscaped with all sorts of rocks and boulders. How could one call such a desolate country home? I wondered. Kwani, where do they grow their tea? I asked. I don't know why I thought of tea while surrounded by aridity. Awawatu, I muttered to myself, and pitied this desert land and its nomads. I judged a country I hadn't created. Those magical Kenya adverts had me believing that no country in the world came close to ours in terms of natural beauty. And as the road that we were on took another dramatic turn, I saw it. In this Mars-like country, I saw snow. There was snow in the desert, I asked myself in disbelief. The beige, tan and brown of the earth had stopped to birth a film of white besides an aquamarine lake that dazzled under cloudless blue sky. Lake Asal, I presumed, and I smiled. I found myself wanting to abandon the car and race to the shores of this saline coast. I wanted to touch, taste and smell. But I was scared for suddenly I felt so small. Immense beauty has a way of making you feel inferior. This was not the natural splendor that I was used to. This country was not my home and I panicked for I felt ill-equipped to survive here. I didn't have the way nor the ability to understand the language of the desert, nor how to decipher the eternity of the salt. I was suddenly hesitant in stepping out of the car when we eventually arrived on the lake shore. My Nairobi bravado was no good here. My smallness felt so huge. The air was still, 
for even the wind had chosen not to whisper. Maybe it too was besotted by beauty. As my feet tried to understand the craggy and briny beach, they broke the silence in the air as the ground under me snapped, crackled and popped with every step that I made. This was the Danakil Desert, Africa's lowest point below the sea level, and I didn't have the strength to take a selfie, my eyes greedily taking in this wonder of nature. All of a sudden, all the browns made sense. How do you even start explaining this crystalline wonder to people who equate greenery with wealth? The name Madia Chumvi, Madia Chumvi, Madia Chumvi started echoing in my head. Weird how the name of a train station somewhere in Kenya seems to be at home here. This is a place of salt, a currency of your As my mind slowly settled down, I noticed the black freckles at a distance on the white surfaces of the lake moving. Those must be miners, salt caravans or worse, tourists like us. I hated the fact that we weren't alone. The story of this beauty was not going to be ours alone to share. I could see the rest of my family now further down on the lake shore, selfieing and zooming and snapping. My solitude offered me peace, but just then, I felt a presence behind me. I slowly turned back and saw a tall, sinewy man with the most beautiful matted afro looking into our land cruiser. Surprisingly, there was no Nairobi chonjoness that kicked in from me. I made no moves to go and try and secure the four-wheeler. He seemed safe. No, had he noticed me staring at him, and this gave me time to take in all his features. He was also taking in his own features as he looked at himself through one of the side mirrors. He was wrapped in a dirty, coarse-looking blanket that hung loosely over his Ethiopian football team jersey. He held a stick that was also as slim as his hand. With a quick and sharp move, his face turned towards me, breaking my stare. Maybe he'd heard my mind calling him skinny. We locked eyes, and in that moment I saw the most beautiful, almond-coloured eyes that I'd ever seen. I don't know how long we did that for, but there was something strangely beautiful but bizarre in that moment. Two worlds peering at one another, and our eyes trying to read into each other's foreign realities. I was disarmed yet again. Djibouti, Djibouti, such beauty. After a moment of what seemed like perpetuity, he smiled, but quickly covered his mouth with his blanket. I thought that was sweet. My cheeks twitched. Without uttering a word, we both found ourselves at the front of the car, staring at one another across the bonnet. He nodded, and I mirrored his greeting. He wore a youthful face that seemed to have experienced much more of life than I had. His nose seemed to sit perfectly in the centre of his face, 
though its bridge looked like it had been pinched a little too much. His lips were shaped in perfect symmetry and were the exact color of his skin. Salam alaikum, salamta, salu, and even a high-pitched jumbo managed to vomit themselves out of my mouth. Jumbo? I winced in disgust. This is the fucking Danakil and you're greeting this majestic Habesha man like a tourist at the Maasai market in Nairobi. I berated myself. He smiled again and his brown eyes glistened as it reflected the desert sky. They stilled my bewildered soul. I noticed that he had a plastic bottle in his other hand that was almost half full of water. I had so many questions in my head for him. But more than anything, I wanted to hear of his world and for him to tell me why his face, though young, seemed already full of stories. I also wanted to apologize for judging this land, to tell him that in less than ten minutes that I had discovered beauty, twice. To confess that I was unready for this majesty and how insignificant I felt standing in his presence and in the vastness of the Danakil. I wanted to ask for permission to enjoy this land, for it had shown me how little I knew, for I had now realized my ignorance and arrogance had been laid bare. He then pointed at the bottle of water that I had been holding. I rolled it across the bonnet towards him. Kenya, I said, still in falsetto, which befuddled me even more. Where was my voice? It too seemed to have been captured. He nodded and let out a coy smile as he refilled his bottle with mine. I listened to water for the first time that moment and watched how my liquid mixed with his. Whirling and twirling in a moment that was not just about water. His chocolate fingers were slim on hands with skin that were probably calloused by survival. What was their story, I wondered. I noticed his wide and shiny forehead and a darker shade of brown under his eyes and a dash-like scar on his neck. More questions manufactured on in my mind. An amazingly neat goatee blunted the end of his slim face. His chin looked soft. The water from my bottle to his was still whirling and twirling. When his bottle was full, he looked at me. Ethiopia, he said. And then he uttered, Yemen. And he pointed his stick to the hills that had been blued by the sky and the horizon. I looked out to his itinerary and turned my head to him and nodded. His eyes still glistened, but now seemed forlorn. He gently placed my now empty bottle of water on the bonnet. Shukran, he said. Afwan, I replied easily, my voice having returned to its mouth. We smiled at one another, and in that moment, I tasted the salt in the wind.
Salt in the Desert was actually inspired by a visit to Djibouti nine years ago. It's rather interesting when you're talking about yourself, but um, here's a little bit about me. I'm a lover of both the spoken and written word and passionate about telling stories from this continent that I call home. To know more about me, you can watch my TED Talk that is available online and you can get to know why I started this podcast and why I call myself a storyteller. You can find me on Twitter and on the gram and my handle is Kev Mwachiro. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. Please write a review, rate and share the podcast with your people. You can follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipe Story and on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Be well and be safe. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.